Well, this semester, we're going to look at a series called Jesus in the Old Testament. Now, um, this is something that I love. Yes, I'm a little bit of a dork in that way, and I'm totally secure in that. That's fine. But I want you guys to see that this semester, we're going to be examining where we see Jesus in the Old Testament. Now, that ought to strike you as a bit of a misnomer immediately because of the fact that Jesus was born after the, New, the Old Testament was written. So there ought to be a little bit of something in your mind going, wait a second, that seems a little bit odd. And also I want to show you how this actually applies to our life, why it matters. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe you grew up in church, maybe you're a Christian, maybe you're not, and maybe uh, you don't know what to make of the Old Testament. Perhaps you've never read it. Perhaps you hate it because it's so stinking boring. Perhaps you don't know what to do with it because it's got all these gruesome details in it that you don't know how to make sense of. Moreover, maybe, maybe you've taken a class at TCU and it's been hard to make sense of what the Old Testament says because why should we trust it? Isn't it just another piece of history? Isn't it just another piece of sort of archaic history that's telling us something about a people but something that we ought to trust? Why should we do that? Perhaps you're in that boat. I think that we're going to learn, among other things, is that Jesus himself believed in and trusted his Old Testament. Look, here's my point. There's a ton of barriers, y'all. Whether they be historical, theological, personal, whatever it might be, that keep us from understanding the Old Testament. So each week, I want to look at some passage and see what it says to us. Now, um, by way of introduction... I don't know how many of you have ever seen the movie Signs. Has anybody ever seen that in Night Shyamalan's movie? Okay, a few. A few of y'all are shaking your heads. You aren't raising your hands, and that's fine. Um, now, I don't know if you've seen it, but I'm, I'm about to maybe give away uh, the punch. So I'll try to keep things as veiled as possible while still trying to make a point, okay? Now, in this movie, Mel Gibson's this, the lead, and in the middle of the movie, we find out that his wife has been killed in a horrible uh, car accident. And in her dying moments, um, she ends up saying a series of words and sentences that make absolutely no sense to Mel's character or the audience watching as well. As the movie goes on, though, we see that her words are the thing. They are the thing that provide escape for the main characters. What originally made no sense at all proved to be the key to escape and rescue. Now, if you're a storytelling connoisseur, you know that this is a literary device called foreshadowing. Something is put in the story, so to speak, that is sort of cryptic, and you don't know what it means until you get to the end, and you begin to look back from the end to see what it's about, and you go, oh... You see, if you've seen M. Night Shyamalan's signs, you know that you've probably said this after the first time you saw it. I've got to go back and watch that again. Because you know that there are things embedded in the narrative that when you're looking forward don't make any sense. But when you get to the end and when everything is summed up, it all makes sense looking backwards to front. Not from the beginning not from the front to the beginning and the, the end, but from the end to the beginning. Have you ever, I want to just ask you, thought about the Bible that way? 
Have you ever thought of, a, thought of it in this way? Perhaps you've grown up around church, around the Bible, and you have probably come to your Bible and read it in one of these ways. Ready? Here's the first one. We read it to tell us what we ought to do. Okay? So, who should I marry? What job should I take? We pick the thing up and we try to read it and scan it. And it's like a you know, magic eight ball or something that tells me what I ought to do. Well, there's some moral instruction in there, but that's actually not primarily what it's about. Or how about this? Maybe you don't understand a word of it, so you stick away from it. You don't want anything to do with it. Or maybe you're in this camp. Why would I trust it? Why would I read it? It's a book for silly religious folks that I want nothing to do with. Well, listen, I think what we're going to learn tonight is that we tend to read the Bible in a way that's completely about us or the Bible is completely irrelevant to us. And both approaches, sadly, will fail. We need to ask the question, how do we rightly understand the Old Testament and the Bible? Maybe the movie Signs, y'all, has something important to tell us. Maybe what doesn't make sense moving forward will make sense when read from the end. Look, Jesus is going to tell us tonight how to read our Old Testament. He is going to make sense of the whole so that we can make sense of the details. I'll say that again. He is going to make sense of the whole for us so that as we go on, week on and week out, how to make sense of the actual details of the story. Well, how do we know this? Let's take a look. Let's take a look at Luke 24 there, what you have on your piece of paper and what's going on. Let's set up the context just a little bit. Um, Jesus has died and has risen from the dead, so Luke has told us. And these two men are absolutely downcast. They're walking on the road together to a town called Emmaus, two travelers, and a third man joins them who we, the readers, know is Jesus, but they, the walkers, have no idea who it is. And he's basically like this, what's up, fellas? And as they're walking, they say this, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? not knowing who Jesus is. That was from verse 18. And Jesus says to them, in effect, you guys, don't you know that the Christ who was foretold in the Bible, that He should suffer and then enter His glory? Now you might say, Ryan, nice try, but where does it say the Bible? And I want to say that's a great question. You see, with that little phrase, look with me right there where it says Moses and, the, and, the, and all of the prophets, right there in verse 27. That is, an old, that, is an, a, that is a way of talking about what we call the Old Testament. Moses would have referred to the first five books. All of the prophets would have referred to everything else. So, when Jesus says this, He is talking about His Bible. Look, y'all, the New Testament... Jesus never read. It wasn't around. So Jesus, man, what's your Bible? He's going to say, your Old Testament. But it's not just that that was Jesus' Bible, okay? It's this. Jesus shows us that in verse 26, that the whole Old Testament is an unfulfilled story. Look at verse 26 when he says, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory. When He was saying that, He was showing that the whole Old Testament is a story that longed to be completed. 
It is not a series of disconnected little stories that have no purpose. Rather, the Old Testament is one large narrative that includes smaller stories that fit into this. And y'all, this isn't a hard concept to get your mind around, I don't think. I mean, think about this. Like, if you have read the Harry Potter series, you know that each book stands on its own as a story, but it's part of a greater, greater story, okay? Think about it like this. When you sort of get to the end of one of those books, you're still left longing the question with this question, what's going to happen to Harry and what's going to happen to Voldemort? Right? You're left with it. And what Jesus is saying is, is the whole Old Testament was like finishing one of those books with something unfulfilled. Now, listen to what Sally Lloyd-Jones, what she writes about this. Just listen with me for just a second. She says, now, some people think that the Bible is a book of rules telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best, but the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. This is a children's Bible, by the way. Other people think that the Bible is a book of heroes showing you people you should copy. Well, the Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some pretty big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away, and at times they're downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is a most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the ones he loves. It's like that most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. Jesus is showing us the real form of the Old Testament. Jesus read and understood his Bible as telling one great story. And I invite you this semester to come and to look at how we will examine this one great story. Look, do you understand and read the Bible that way? Do you? It's how Jesus read it. It's how he understood it. And part of what it means to grow as a Christian is to learn how to read things like Jesus wants them to be read. So I invite you to please come. But here's what. There's more. You see, as soon as you say that the Old Testament is one big story, it begs a further question, doesn't it? Basically this. Well, what's that story about? Who's it about? Or what is it for? And that's to where we turn now, still in our Luke passage. I want you to keep your eyes there. Look at this. Jesus answers it. We read that the whole Old Testament, that the whole point of the Old Testament is right there in verse 27. Do you see it? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interprets to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus is standing there with these two downcast guys saying, y'all, the whole Old Testament is about me. It's about me. This is staggering. Why? Because I think sometimes if you've grown up around the Bible, you probably don't know what to do with the Old Testament. I'll give you the answer to it real quick. Ready? 
It's about Jesus, about His work, about His person, about His teachings. Listen, in another part of the Scriptures, Jesus was talking with the Jews of His day, and they loved their Bibles. Moses was their guy, so to speak. And Jesus says this in John chapter 5. Look up on the screen. He says this, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them, talking to them about the Scriptures, that you have eternal life. And it is they, the Scriptures, that bear witness about me. Then in verse 46, he says, For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me. For he wrote of me. Jesus is saying that you cannot understand the Old Testament without him because the Old Testament is about him. But also, you can't understand Jesus without the Old Testament. It's like a circle. Here's why. In Luke chapter 16, we get this story of of him telling uh, about a man. It's sort of an obtuse story, but for our purposes, Jesus is saying, look, go ahead and go to the slide there, Michael. He says this, look, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, this is what this man is saying. Jesus says, look, they will repent. Jesus says, no. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, they won't be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. What is Jesus saying? Even if a man came back from the stinking dead, something that he did, you won't know how to make sense of it if you don't know your Old Testament. Here's what this means. You need to know the Old Testament story. Otherwise, you will make Jesus into whatever you need Him to be. Get that. You will take Him and He will become your champion for whatever cause that you need for Him to be at any given moment in your life. You will have a Jesus that never disagrees with you. He will line up with you at all points on matters of sexuality, on matters of money, on matters of relationships. He will be your homeboy, so to speak. And what the Old Testament clearly teaches us is this. That's not Jesus at all. I don't know who you're dealing with. We have got to begin to see that the Old Testament is a story that points to Him. I want to give you a quote that Tabidi Anyabwele, I know that sounds crazy, but it's his real name. He says this, The Bible, it's up on your screen, is not about us. Not in the most immediate and important sense. The Bible is about Jesus. And to read the Bible well means delaying questions like, what does this have to do with me? Or how can I apply this to my life? How many of y'all have ever done that? Me? Guilty. Okay, but listen. We hold those questions off until we first thoroughly know what the Bible has to do with Jesus and how it applies to Him. If we read the Bible autobiographically, that is, about us, we'll actually remove Jesus from the story or relegate Him to a lesser role. Think about it like this. I love it. It's like this what happens all the time to me every semester on campus. I'm walking to McAllister's to get my very much coveted sweet tea. All y'all know I have an addiction. Yes, I need Jesus. As I'm walking, about 20 yards ahead of me, by the way, these are new glasses. I have not been wearing them for about six months, okay? So what ends up happening, without my glasses, I see somebody about 20 yards away, wave. And I go, oh, hey, how are you doing? It's so good. Oh, it's good to see you. And then, 
Within about five seconds, as they're coming toward me, this incredible cloud of shame just comes over me. Why? Because I look at them and I go, I have no idea who that person is. And then as I walk past them, I just lower my head and they begin talking to the person right behind me. And I just sort of cower in this... I mean, I just, it feels awful. You may, this may have happened to you, but listen, why do I do that? Here's why. Because I'm so self-absorbed, y'all. You know, instead of thinking, who is that person? I just go, oh, they're waving at me. I must know them. They like me, right? They like me. I'll wave back. Hey, how you doing? But here's the problem. The wave wasn't about me at all. Not at all. And so many of the times we read the Bible that way. We think, this is about me. I'm saying this, come learn this semester why it might be a good thing that the Bible is not first and foremost about you. Come learn why that might be a good thing for you and me. Oh, to be sure, the Old Testament is for you. It is written for you and for your good. But it is not about you. It is, about a, it is about a king. It's about something else. It's about something, if we're honest, this humbles us, right? That's much bigger than us. And we live in a world on a college campus where you're told, guess who's at the center of the universe? You and me. And what this book is going to come do is going to come take a sledgehammer to that mentality and say, I got news for you. It's not all about you. And that's really, really, really good news. Well, who is it about? Jesus says, it's about me. And I want to begin to show you this. At this point, we've just been trying to talk about that the Old Testament is one story about one person. And I'd like to now turn to Genesis chapter 3 and actually show you what I'm talking about. So, all I've said before introduction. We're getting down and dirty right now, so to speak, okay? Genesis chapter 3, we're moving into the Old Testament back at the beginning of that story that I have told you about. Now, the one story that the Bible tells starts off perfectly. God has made a world where, including man, He has made everything in perfect harmony. It's actually unimaginable to us. Can you imagine a world where there was no relational tension? Have you ever gone through the pain of a breakup? It didn't exist. Have you ever lost a parent or a loved one? Nobody knew what you were talking about. Have you ever seen somebody be abused or dealt with in ways that are unfairly? What about economic systems, oppressed people? Those sort of things just didn't exist. The disease, cancer, it it was a world, it didn't exist. Everything was perfect. And what we read in our text in Genesis chapter 3 is how man jacked it all up. How he ruined it. You see, man's sin fractures the best thing that he could have ever wanted. Perfect fellowship with God. Can you imagine walking with God? Like, 
just walking with him without any distance between you, relationally, like that is what Adam and Eve had at the very beginning. But they, like you and me, y'all, they blew it. They failed their test of obedience in the garden. And Genesis chapter 3 tells us all about that, how it becomes unraveled. Now, look here in this text in chapter, in chapter 3, when he says that, uh, when God says this, this is in verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord. Why? Because they had eaten of the fruit. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. And at this point, y'all, you need to begin to sense an incredible dramatic tension. You see, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you're kind of like, yeah, we kind of know the story. Yeah, we know how it goes. That's sort of Get rid of that for just a second. Imagine the world created perfectly and this dude and this chick ruin everything. And now God shows up on the scene and He's like, what the heck just happened? You've got to let yourself feel that tension. Because when you do, you begin to sense two, one of two things that the commentators point out. God in that moment was forced to do one of two things. He either scraps it or He fixes it. And if we're honest, the best thing he should have done was shut the Bible down, shut the world down in that moment, and scrap it all. He would have been completely just to do that. He could have shut the whole story down then, wiped wiped them off the face of the earth, and been completely content for the rest of God's existence without man on the face of the earth, or the earth, or the whole world. You have to see that. But instead, something else happens. He decides to fix it. Look at this. This decision to fix what was broken is called grace. And you say, Ryan, I get the sin from the passage, but where's the grace? Well, look with me at Genesis 3.15. Remember that tension. What is God going to do? Will He scrap it or will He fix it? And God utters a massive promise to the serpent when He says this, There is coming one in the seed line of the woman who will crush your head. In other words, your days are numbered, Satan. There is one who is coming who will deal the death blow to death itself. And in so doing, he will rescue what is lost, his bride, the collective people of God, to be with him forever once again. That's the story. That's the promise that you get right there in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity, that is, friction or war between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he, the seed of the woman, will bruise your head and you you shall bruise his heel, crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now listen, that is what the whole story is about. And it's really a hero story. It's the story about a hero who is to come, who is to fix all that man screwed up, Who would this be? Well, we're not told. We're not told here. We only get hints. But as the story unfolds, remember signs? We discover the identity of this head crusher. It turns out to be a man who would himself die and rise 
and talked to two travelers on a dusty Emmaus road. Jesus Himself. And how He would do it would be one of the most ironic ways that you could ever imagine. You see, Jesus too once stood in a garden. And He once faced a test in front of Him. And unlike that first Adam, Jesus, the better, the truer Adam, didn't stand idle by, but stood and passed and finished the test by going to the cross. You've got to see that from this text. God knew here in Genesis 3 that the only way for Adam and the entire human race to live was going to be if a better Adam, the Creator Himself, would come back and fix what the first one jacked up. And in Jesus, we get exactly that. And y'all, that is grace. That is a hero. The Apostle Paul would put it best this way when he put it in Romans chapter 5, verse 18. Look at the screen. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, that is Adam's taking, so one act of righteousness, Jesus dying, leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, Adam's, the many men were made sinners, that's you and me, so by the one man's obedience, our better, truer Adam, Jesus, so the many, you and me, will be made righteous. Look, our twin girls are starting to watch Baby Einstein now. And I'll never forget a few weeks ago, I put the DVD in, and uh, they were looking at me, and I was pointing at the screen saying, Girls, look, it's Baby Einstein. Look, sweetie, Baby Einstein's on the TV. And they're standing there looking at me with the TV going on behind them. And you know what, what Audrey, my little girl, did? She stood there and looked at my finger. She even grabbed it and smiled, and she started to chew on it. She thought that my finger was the point. But what my finger was doing was trying to show her that something great was right behind her. That there was something going on greater behind her. And the Old Testament is full of pointers to Jesus. In short, the whole Bible is one story about one person who is the one and only hero. And all through the Old Testament, we see glimpses, shadows of it. And I invite you to see Jesus this semester as the one who comes and rescues all that was lost in Eden. Listen to what Isaiah, I mean, um, what um, Isaac Watts, the writer of Joy of the World, wrote. He says this, In Him the tribes of Adam boast, more blessings than their father lost. Let that sink in. In Him, the tribes of Adam boast more blessings than their father lost. Jesus is the hero. He recovers and restores everything that went wrong. And this Old Testament screams about it. I invite you to come. And to come listen about it next week and every week beyond that, to come see how this is the best story that was ever told and about the best hero that you could ever imagine or ever want. Let's pray. 
Our Father in heaven, would you take these things by your Spirit and make them real to us. Show us the beauty of Jesus and how He rescues sinners. He is for people who blow it all the time. He comes to make beautiful things out of busted things. This is what He loves to do and delights in doing. Would you give us the humility to see that that is for us too? We ask this all in your name. Amen.